1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. This is January 27, 2018, and we are yet two years away from a new XFL. But to my north by northeast is none other than my co-host, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. This is Chris mookie Ghana harrington How are you doing today, Brandon? I'm, I'm, I'm great. You are not... Uh, what were you last week? Uh, Chris-Gana-Mookie-Harrington or something like that? Something like that, yeah. My, my brain was, was scrambled after uh, some sickness. And then uh, we got a, a 14 plus inches of snow on Tuesday, all right, Monday night. So that that caused hell here in uh, minnesota and then it it actually got really warm yesterday and then adida menzel came here to sing and was complaining about how cold it was and everyone was was in incredulous at the uh, who's Who some <laughs> sort of music- musician oh brandon is this someone yeah uh, she, in, in, she, a member of current pop culture she she's uh a, a famous singer from broadway and then she was um the singing voice for one of the characters in Frozen. So, like, Let It Go is, is her singing. And 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 famously, John Travolta has pronounced her name at one of the big award shows. And uh, she used to be married to T-Diggs and all sorts of other things. Exactly. Alright, good. Have you uh, cleaned up after your coffee spill? I, I cleaned up a little bit. We got a little mouse pad sitting here now, so it's a little bit better. Mm. And, uh, honestly, um, I'm just excited that I'm going to be able to get my car in and out of the, the driveway and the plowing the alley and stuff. It's my wedding anniversary today. Oh, that's it's my 11th right. That's right, you're my eleventh wedding anniversary. And so uh, I, our, our gift was getting alley plowing so we could actually get our car out after 14 inches of snow. So you're recording yeah. a three-hour podcast on your wedding anniversary? Yeah, for the morning. The, it's, we're not doing anything fun until this evening. So. I, I think it's, there, it's, there are some people out there who wouldn't get away with that. Uh, it's all right. I... I, I left a uh, a card in the other room, so I'm, I'm good to go. Okay. yeah, But uh, Brandon Howard Thurston did yes. wrestle. Didn't you wrestle yesterday? Yeah, I wrestled for, for, for Ron Falco's IWF last night. That's right. Were, were you, in fact, wrestling
3: Mr. Falco himself? He was involved in a, a six-way match that I was a part of, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Were you successful at taking home the Winners' Purse? No, I, I did not. It was one fall to a finish. It was uh, Frank the Tank Burlington. I think you know him. He He, uh, he got the pin. Not on me, but on someone else. I think on Ron, actually.
2: My goodness, I didn't know that Frank the Tank was still with it. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Still going. Uh, um, What would you say are the top five moves of Brandon Howard Thurston? I don't know if there are five. Well, we were doing a YouTube video, and it's going to be the top five moves of Brandon Howard Thurston. There's going to be some rock soundtrack behind it. It's going to say, number five. I think there is some
3: sort of really old version of, of a video like the one you're describing. Uh, I think it's out there. It might, it might be out there. I'm searching right now. Top moves of Brandon Thurston. I don't, Please I don't know if it's still me. up.
2: Number five is angry point. Number top, four top is top 10 moves.
3: Let's see. This is from, up. this is a two minute video. It's okay. from, no one wants to hear this, So you can hear my music in the background now. Yeah, I know you can't,
2: but our listeners can't. You can play it in double speed. So it only takes a minute for us to watch. That's true. What, what do you do? You right click the, uh, the play button. Is that what, how it, no, no, there's somewhere in there. And one of the options where it's like speed normal and you can make it like two X. I don't know, but uh, let's see here.
3: This is from 2011. And uh, I've got a headlo- <laughs> headlock takeover counter where I jump right to my feet. A flying DDT. Uh, I'm just going to go through this. A wrist clutch exploder. Flying dropkick. Satellite Lamahistral cradle. Ooh. Satellite armbar. Doomsday dropkick, which is obviously a tag team move. Let's see what, it is. what else we got here as I jump around.
2: Half Nelson what, what? suplex. Oh, man, I was dropping people on, on their heads back in the day. Yeah. German suplex. Explain to me the difference between a La Magistrale and a satellite Law
3: Magistrale. Oh, it's like uh, you just do a Mystica into it. So, like, um, you know the, the La Mystica, the move that Mystico kind of made famous, where he does head scissors into an armbar? Yes. So it, 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 so I would do that and then just pop right up to my feet and roll right into the cradle.
2: Got it. Okay. Wow. Well, now, now everyone knows the top moves of Brandon Howard Thurston. At, at least Angry of, Point did not make it. Yeah. At least as of seven or eight years ago. As of seven or eight years ago. Now, now, have, would you say your style has gotten uh, more explosive or less explosive over the last seven years here? I don't know. I've I started wearing kick pads in the last few years, and uh, I throw a, I throw a
3: couple more kicks. I do, do more kicks to the chest now and stuff.
2: Yeah, you went all the way up to uh Mississauga just so you could meet the uh famous guy from uh Yuki Chicago, Japan. yeah. Yeah, the exactly. So some battle arts stuff. Right. So, yeah, you're now more battle arts uh Farmer Thurston. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's a uh, that's that's our show, everybody. I hope uh, hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, you can email us week, at dot com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what everyone is uh talking about this week? is the XFL and on uh 12/15/17 so December 15th the Brad Shepherd did say that this would be the day uh last Thursday would be the day that they, that they would be having the XFL relaunch and to his credit he was exactly right it was an XFL relaunch and it was held on that day so uh for people who who you know can get criticism sometimes i i have to say he was on the money on this one exactly yeah and there even last doubters, week, but uh, he was exactly right it, even last week i was specific and i said has anyone heard anything new about this and everyone was like nope and in fact we should probably hear something by now and uh, instead wwe did not announce that there was a press conference happening until almost ten fifteen a.m eastern time when i got an email from one of the wwe corp Uh, uh, spokesman, the PR spokesman, basically saying Vince McMahon is going to make a, quote, major sports announcement uh, at this time. I think it was 3 p.m. Eastern. And that uh, we should tune in. And it gave us the phone number to call in if we wanted to call in. So I I was on the media list. And then it gave a name of a guy that we were supposed to contact if we had questions who worked for Loud Communications. And his name is uh, Lou Di and uh he for 22 years was the SVP of media relations for Fox Sports until about May 20, 2016 so it was it was kind of a weird one because it was WWE sending this out about Vince McMahon's company and then trying to be like nope ask all your questions to this other guy who is not sending this all out so it was it was a weird one in the sense that it was like they they were kind of doing the seed work for them but they didn't seem to want to give them their contact list so in that um, sense is
3: is isn't WWE essentially doing like contract work for Alpha Entertainment then? Like they're sending well, emails out on their
2: behalf for a Other people conference. have pointed out that there, there's examples where press conferences have been announced by a company, you know, for uh, – or not press conferences, but like talking about Cena or The Rock or Triple H or, you know, either um, ph- philanthropy they're doing or for movies they're in or for TV shows they appear in. And you could argue whether, you know, like when Luke Harper appears on Damnation, technically Luke Harper's an independent contractor, right? So it's him just doing an acting gig, but they're advertising it, they're talking about it. So it, there there is always that element where um I don't think there's any rule that says they can't do it. Are they right? the press releases out for it? Um I mean, I did receive the press release afterwards with the fact sheet and the vision statement and all that from the same person. Afterwards, so yeah, I mean they're they are doing the, some about media about movies about the movie. Oh, about the movies? No, no. But I mean about the XFL. You, you could also argue maybe this suggests there's a licensing agreement between yeah. Alpha Entertainment and WWE, and this is just one element of showing how that licensing agreement is working. Where you know they're agreeing in tandem to promote IP that is owned by WWE, i.e. XFL but is being licensed by this other company. And in, in those ways, it's somewhat similar to maybe what they're doing with Tap Out. You know, you could say that's a, a joint venture where they're, you know, spending a lot of resources on. If, All the in case, th- if that's the case, isn't this sort of like the questions that you've raised
3: around the trademark issues? Like, well, if they're providing, if WD is providing some service for Alpha Entertainment or the XFL, how do we know what, uh, what fee WB should receive for that if, <coughs> if both companies are being run by the same person?
2: I mean, there's ways to do it right, which would be you get an, a third party to evaluate what the value of this, this agreement should be. And then you have people that are not related to the McMahon family be the approvers of it. And it goes in front of, you know, an independent body or a body that has some independence, like the board of directors, people that are not members of WWE family or company. That would be what I would think would be the most appropriate. What I'm guessing they really did was instead they just came up with some valuation of what the XFL was worth, had Alpha Entertainment say, we'd like to license it. And everyone said, well, since it's Vince McMahon, who's going to fight this? And they went ahead. I'll be very curious in their Q4 call how much they have to talk about XFL and how much in the 10Q um, statements or other things they have to make it very clear that XFL is is or is not using their resources. And I think it's a really big open question for some analysts there to, you know, there's an opportunity to hammer them a little bit on this to say, are you using WWE resources to promote this thing? Why are shareholders being, you know, why are shareholders not receiving the value of their IP? in some ways, this two year time frame gives them also a lot of time for some of those WWE uses to maybe even run out where you know they can almost let some of those uh, uh, trademarks kind of expire and then maybe alpha entertainments will will take over. who knows so it's it's intriguing to me. I think it's easy to overplay it and make it a big conspiracy about you know what's happening here. I think everyone would be fooling themselves if they didn't think that in some ways WWE is actually benefiting from the fact that, Alpha Entertainment is saying it is not us who is going to be – Alpha Entertainment is saying WWE is not going to run the XFL. We are running the XFL, Alpha Entertainment. We are a separate company from WWE. And in fact, Vince McMahon made it pretty clear in this that he was trying to put up a firewall between wrestling personalities and football personalities. And – you could argue that WWE only gets the upside, right? So they get a licensing fee for the XFL, but they don't get the financial hit for if the league is incredibly costly.
3: Yeah, and I think Vince, in fact, said it at the press conference that $100 million was too rich for WWE.
2: Yeah, and, and I believe it in the sense that I'm sure this idea has been kicking mm-hmm. around for a while. And when they put a valuation to it, it was $100 million. And everyone there kind of looked at their portfolio of of revenue and their profit, and said, "You know what? this is probably not an investment that we could do and get away with that would not in some way stink, tank the stock mm-hmm. and and there was a hesitation there, and so in some ways, I think it's it's a um it's a sign of maturity that you know we're getting to the point where w w e is beginning to recognize that Pet projects of Vince McMahon are not good investments for a corporate structure. At, at age 72, Vince McMahon has finally reached maturity. This is what you're saying. Uh, or more the board around Vince McMahon, uh, the business advisors his, his, and everyone his else. various handlers. Yeah. And so it, it's intriguing to me from that sense. I think, yeah, there's definitely an element where you could argue shareholders might be um, getting shorted on this. I I think you could argue that every single time WWE makes a deal and basically holds so much voting power that they can control what happens. And, you know, there's lots of times I would say shareholders have been given the short end of the stick. So it's kind of hard to uh, say that there's been much accountability put on them short of large investment blocks that hold them. You know, if if no one's going to hold them accountable for for, uh, asking for $200 million of investment money, which you could argue that would be the easiest way to have paid off this XFL idea. Um, then no one's going to hold them accountable, period, because no one's asking for answers for what they're doing with that money beyond just they want to make their balance sheet look good. And I would agree XFL would not make their balance sheet look good. Yeah. And in fact, the stock is at an all-time high, right? It is at an all-time high, though. The fact that it only went up about 1.5% on day one, and it did go up even more on day two, kind of based on some um, overnight trading, to me says that there's a little bit of a divorce in thinking about this, where... If it had gone up 10% or if it had gone down 10%, I would say XFL announcement really had a big impact. Why why did it have any effect at all? um, Because I think in general, everything now is being traded on speculation and futures. And so the idea is, does this show that a Vince McMahon is a capable leader does it show that um, it's going to interfere with the activities for the next two years if he has to spend more time working on the XFL is going to take time away from
3: the valuable work that he would contribute to WWE
2: and I would argue that the fact they're putting it out two years is very smart because this way you're not saying wow Vince McMahon is not going to be dealing with this TV rights renewal which he should concentrate on and instead he's playing off on XFL dollars Well, you know what? He's not playing off on XFL dollars. He's concentrating on his his core business. And then the second part of it being, you could argue, he thinks that the TV market is so rich, the media market, that adding another thing will actually give him more rights. Doesn't this suggest he is even more optimistic about their opportunities for WWE after going through the renewal process? So you could read between the lines and say, if, if you're talking to a thousand stations and you figure out, hey, I should launch this other project. Isn't that hinting that through your talking to those stations, they gave you an indication they were interested or had a hunger for that? I don't know whether that's true or not, but you, you could make that argument. Um, all in all, the fact it only went up about 1%, 2%. If it went up 1% or 2% any other day of the year, we wouldn't have talked about it as being linked to XFL. So I think it's I think it's, right. I think it's a, a little bit duplicative of us to talk about a 1% raise being based on the XFL when every other day of the week it's doing ups and downs. Right, 1% or 2%. Increase is not a big event in the stock
3: and, and could be and could happen for any combination of reasons. It wouldn't be a
2: I, I, I will say the trading has been heavier in the last two days here than vol- it's been. Volume is, up. volume is way up. And I think the reason volume is way up is because it's at an all-time high. Every time you're hitting an all-time high, you do expect – actually, I should take that back. Volume was really high on Thursday, um, especially on the later hours after the XFL thing it opened the next day super high. It opened at 34.35 after closing the day before at 34.12 or whatever. Um, and then there was a lot of volume on that because it was a new high. And then it kind of leveled out. And then around 2.30, there was kind of a little bit of another little peak drop. But all in all, it stayed. It ended the, the week actually at 34.35-ish. So it, it's I think every time you hit an all-time high, you're always going to get a little bit more volume trading going on. Um, but there was definitely a little bit more volume because of XFL, but in the end it didn't tank it and didn't drive it up. So as many people, I think everyone was just encouraged to know that it was going to be what they thought it was. I will say it is 100% not what I said it was going to be. You know, I was pretty clear in our other episodes that I said it was going to be a website is going to be about fantasy football it was going to be about, you know, um, media monetization and and streaming and things like that and that's mm-hmm. not and, and at I all said and about, I said it was going
3: to be about politics and yielding, which it is. We'll talk. There's about a that lot
2: later. of Yeah, so let's let's go through kind of you you followed the whole press conference it had been broken before we even did it because someone said they had done a um they, they someone had said they had uh seen a test stream and at think, the end of yeah, the test yeah. stream it said XFL 2020.
3: <laughs> yeah, the logo got revealed because they, I th- I think they did a live stream. Publicly, a little bit, whether intentional or not, a little bit before the actual press conference started. So there was a a logo floating out on Twitter for a little while, like I don't know, maybe half an hour before the uh, press conference itself started.
2: Which, again, if this was one of these where if it had said XFL twenty eighteen, I could see that actually take her, hurting the stock immediately because people would say, "Oh my God, Vince has taken his eye off the ball and he wants to start tomorrow." But the fact it was really clear very quickly that it's a two year project, I think that helps as well. So um, you I mean, you maybe volume is up because you know our
3: our stock target of thirty four dollars has been met, and maybe maybe the reality is that uh, W investors are all WrestleNomics listeners, and they're like, oh, it, it hit the it hit the target. So there's all this
2: stock activity. Um, yeah, yeah, it, that's very true. No, I agree Um, that I think every time it hits certain um, thresholds, there's going to be a lot of automated volume, too, because that's those are, you know, kind of hit targets that are going on for people. Um, So Vince... You know, the real succinct part was when he started off and just basically made it clear that he was going to uh, ask a lot of questions of football fans and he was going to, quote, listen to medical experts and technology experts and listen to fans. And he wants to reinvent the game of football and make it, quote, shorter, but faster and family friendly and uh, uh, eight teams, 40 men, 10 game season, two semifinals, one championship game. Uh, And it will kick off in 2020 then he threw on this quality of the human being will be as important as the quality of the player, big screens, mobile devices, everything in between. And then let's hear your questions. So it was a pretty quick uh, lead into you know Vince behind that podium talking to everybody. Uh, kind of an interesting contrast to his appearance on on raw twenty five earlier the week. But um then we had all the questions. Were you surprised how short his speech was? And you know that weird little rap that opened it all up?
3: Not so much. I, th- I think what was interesting is that this was a press conference to, I think, get out ahead of all the knee-jerk criticisms that people would have when they think the XFL is coming back. And in in that little opening statement, and kind of throughout his responses to the questions as well, he's trying to make it sound like he's going to listen, he's going to listen, he's going to listen to people, to experts and all this stuff, and to try to, I think, send the message out that, all right, look, we know we made some mistakes last time, and I know I'm doing this again, at this thing that I failed at last time, but I'm, gonna, I'm really going to do it right this time. Like I think that was basically the message.
2: I mean, I think his talking points were really strong, that he was supposed to talk about the idea of football as an um, American tradition that was getting impacted by becoming too long, and that people were turned off by the politicization of the game rather than the game itself. And that the game was becoming too wimpified. If you want to almost, you know, kind of use Vince McMahon terminology, yet he also knows that people are going to complain that you can't make football more smash mouth uh, without saying, "Listen to medical experts, technology experts," which puts you in a inherent contradiction, right? Because right. He's, he's asked questions specifically about CTE. Yeah, and and so that's that's the biggest challenge with all of this. Is a they they gave very little information about new things um, beyond. Uh, saying that they were going to own all their teams, which I think is a is a interesting development there to say they're not franchising that they'd have total control, which in some ways again is pretty smart. If you're trying to create league consistency, then you don't have different owners where you're saying this guy has a different role than this guy, and uh, similar to the, our discussion with Alavi last week about Trump, and you know then you also don't have owners that you know undercut each other for bidding for talent or doing something else where they said they're not going to do that. Um, and then, you know, just the, the news that they're going to start, you know, more like January, early spring, February, uh, that's, that's very, you know, that's cold weather. So that really does limit, you know, isn't, isn't some of the stadiums. Isn't roughly when the, the 2001 season started? Was it in February? Um, I'm not, I don't remember exactly when the XFL first season began. I think it did. I think it was very similar timing, um, at the time. Uh, let's see what it says here, what the, uh, first game was. Uh, February 3rd, 2001. Yep. Less than one week following the Super Bowl. So very similar time frame. Um, obviously, the the subtext to all this is that there's a belief that somehow there's money in sports, live sports, that is extractable at this point in time, even for a B or C league. So, you know, does that mean streaming online? Does it mean television I always go back to the fact that this ESPN OTT service is going to launch in a couple years and they're going to need content. And the nature of some of their deals does not necessarily allow them to just put it on digital. You have to renegotiate all the deals to put it digitally. So this would be, in my mind, a very lucrative thing for, for an ESPN OTT service if they can get the rights cheap enough to get get a foot in the door because it, it would uh, help both sides. It would just be a question of whether or not they think the penetration would be enough and the interest would be enough to actually either pay for it or to approve uh, a uh, valuation to the company itself. And I, th- I think the big challenge here, in in,
3: in many ways, it was in two thousand and one as well. And it kind of relates to part of a conversation we had with Lavi last time is that you know think about all the networks that Sinclair Broadcasting has, and it has like that Stadium Channel, where right this is the channel, or you I know there's others as well where they air all this you know mid-level college basketball or college football sort of these lower level sports that aren't aren't the the big top top tier major league sports but we're gonna have to make this appeal to a wider audience you know it, it kind of sounds too like the challenge that a tna or impact wrestling or ring of honor itself face by being disadvantaged by not being perceived as the one and only major league
2: a few weeks ago, we talked a lot about that ESPN-FOX deal, and one of the biggest elements of that was all about the regional broadcast networks that FOX was basically trying to move over, and the deals that were written there, and how important that was basically to the infrastructure, both how much money had been sunk into that, it was like almost 40 or 50 percent of the total valuation of the deal, and how difficult they were finding it in some ways to you know, make it good ratings. Homes, while at the same time, they found that some of it had incredible stickiness where, you know, people would say, I will keep my cable if I can get my Houston Astros games or my, you know, my White Sox games or whatever it is. And so there was that element, too, where it's, it's a valuable piece of the bundle in certain situations. This is not coming in as a proven commodity. So that's going to be harder because you can't really leverage it that way by saying, hey, everyone's really fond of the New Jersey hitmen. You know, that's not going to work. So you, you, you do have a little bit of your starting over here. Um, and, you know, Rich uh, Richard Deach with um, SI was like, well, aren't you think there's an over and over saturation right now? And Dave, or Dave, <laughs> Vince just said seven months without no football on the gridiron. It's the quality of play. It's going to be a different game. It's going to be a better football game. We're going to make our own demand. It's going to give you football like you've never
3: seen before. It's going to be faster. It's going to be shorter. It's going to be fan-centric. We're going to listen to all
2: these medical experts and – and so on. And and this the shorterness got to the funny quote where he was like, who wants to sit for three, three and a half hours? And I, I joked that 2001 Vince and Common Vince uh, had just met for the first time and uh, realized some issues. And, and it speaks, of course, to the fact that WWE does three-hour Raws because USA is willing to pay them for three-hour Raws. Right. And... USA does not show any signs of shirking that, of walking away from that right now, and I don't anticipate it will go away if they think they can get more money with it. I I very strongly don't believe WWE is of the mindset that they're burning their fans out, whether or not they are. They're not of the mindset right now. Nothing they've said has suggested that they'd be willing to intentionally take less money on their TV renewal just to cut back on the hours because they think it's better for the product. Instead, they've said the exact opposite. We we can't believe how much they consume. We can't believe they want more in-ring product. So everything to me s- signals that they're going to continue at three hours of raw uh, into this renewal. I I, th- I think they're aware of the challenges of <clears throat> of going three hours.
3: Like I think uh, the, the Paul Levesque interview with Steve Austin from a couple of years ago – he made some statement that alluded to you know, acknowledging that three hours makes it difficult, but but
2: obviously not saying that we're going to make any change about that time. Yeah, and, and also that there's no, um, there's no week-to-week storylines for football necessarily of the same nature, so I don't think they feel like it's an episodic show. Uh, and so maybe they feel like it's more like you're watching a two-hour show and you're just engaged in that one thing rather than it's every week you're coming back to – follow the next set of storylines and of course everyone would argue hey game of thrones is episodic and does it in one hour chunks or one and a half hour chunks at most and people are plenty fine with that you know three hours is a lot to ask people to try to make episodic television around I guess in the case of WB, there's just a lot more characters than, I don't know, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong,
3: but I would guess that there's more characters on Raw, for example, than there is on...
2: Oh, I don't know about that. Game of Thrones, you know, that was the joke. Game of Thrones is Twitter. It's 140 characters and no one knows what they're talking about. Um, But let's talk a little bit about this quality of the human comment that was made. Um, This, of course, caused, you know, a lot of people immediately jumped on the bandwagon of saying let's talk about the anthem let's talk about the anthem let's talk about the anthem and they want to know are you going to make them stand and what did vince say he wouldn't outright commit to it i think knowing
3: that like if he if he was too direct in, in saying yes that that it would give him some undue you know some press that he would not like but he he all but said that uh you know there's going to be some rules, and and everybody's going to know the rules ahead of time. You're going to sign on. You're going to know the rules, and then you're going to abide by them. And this is the, the sort of responses he would give to questions like, "Are you, are you interested in Colin Kaepernick? Would he be welcome in the league?" And and some of these uh, members of the media who were on the call, uh, at least one of them re- really tried to follow up and and get clarification. And he would not outright say yes, but at least of my reading, it certainly sounded like there's plans for
2: that, but you, Two years out, I
3: guess he doesn't want to commit.
2: Yeah. Um, oh my goodness! Sorry, I just got a weird like spam email thing, being like, <laughs> "Like, hey, someone's trying to access your Steam account," and I was like, "Oh goodness!" So, I uh, I, I just got distracted for a second. Yeah, I think um, it's you know people pointing out to that uh, what was it? Teams didn't even come on the field for the national anthem until something like two thousand nine. That they used to just stay in the back, and then the national anthem happened, and then they came out. So there, there is also, I think, an out in all of this, which is you this just is in go the N- NFL. You're NFL you're talking about. Yeah. I, I seem to remember
3: memorably after 9-11, though, and maybe it was just because it was after 9-11. Like, when, when football—did they, they, they postpone football after 9-11 happened? Anyway, shortly after 9-11, I remember seeing on TV all these players standing for the anthem and stuff.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, you, it's very fair— I. I I am not a football fan, so I could be 100% wrong. I'm sure I'll be inundated with people tweeting me saying, no, you're completely wrong this. I do think that's the easiest solution to it, which I know with sidesteps the entire implications of the questions. But the easiest solution is you just don't have the teams come out during your anthem. And then you've you've basically now you're doing it. People aren't going to complain. And then you move on. Um, I, I do also wonder if in two years this is still going to be the conversation we're having about it yeah. or whether this is going to be something that we've moved on to other implementations of this larger social policy and, and, and discussion. Going through my memory, they definitely do it at the Super
3: Bowl and have done it at the Super Bowl, I think, every year. Like, all the yeah. players are standing out there. But but yeah, in in, tw- in 2020, I, I wrote a column on this for, for Fightful. In, in 2020, we may be... I don't. I don't know where we'll be. We may be in the middle of another set of presidential races that are very painful and uh, contentious and ugly, or uh, or maybe the current president will will somehow no longer be the president by then, and maybe the conversation
2: will be totally removed from this. And and the other piece of this is just this decency policy that Vince is talking about, where he said specifically, if you even have a DUI, you can't play in my league. That's right. But if and, you're in WWE, that's all right. Well, that's the the thing. I think that, uh, you know, I asked, you know, who could not be in WWE? Um, who, who else – who has right now been arrested for that stuff? And people were like, well, you know, you have everyone from Steve Austin to Jay Uso to, uh, you know, so many guys from FCW back in the day to, I think, even Charlotte Flair and other people. And it, it's an interesting contrast, I'd say, that – You would say that you're holding these football players there because there's even people like, you know, I I saw a really interesting story about a guy named Austin Edward Safarian Jenkins, who uh, now plays for the Jets. And he was talking about his one year sobriety and he was talking about how he got a DUI and, you know, the teams were really upset at him. And then he went and now he's sober and he's really, you know, kind of turned around his life. And it'd be like, so are we saying now that if you've committed a crime And you've you've, you know, in some way served something for it and you've made a change to your lifestyle and your life that you're still irredeemable and unusable. Or is that just heavy handed talk? Because it sounds nice to say I I completely agree that, you know, there's also there's many different levels of allegations that people have had. And you can you know, you can choose a line in the sand that you want to draw to say, these are the people or these are the offenses that I consider unredeemable or these are the situations that I consider unredeemable. And so it's up to every, you know, organization to make that kind of decision. But I do think it's interesting to see a policy that would be more stringent than what we've even seen in, in WWE. Um, specifically coming from a man who is the chairman and president of WWE now. I, I think like what he's hitting
3: at is the sort of conversation that I that I probably hear from like, you know, other people as they watch the NFL and and they say, Oh, there's all these, you know, they're all criminals and they're all doing bad stuff and this and that. It's sort of like, I feel like me sort of like just what, what, what Trump has done in himself as a political candidate is sort of listen to these everyday conversations that, that, that these everyday people have and then like address, uh, you know, create a policy based on that. But, uh, let's, let's, if we can, we should probably, uh, reference the actual quote that he said. And he said that, uh, someone who, who does not have any criminality whatsoever associated they may what am i reading here but he says he doesn't want anybody with any sort of criminality whatsoever associated with them and in the xfl even if you have a dui you will not play in the xfl so that would probably
2: eliminate some of them this is he's referencing uh, players that he was yeah and about. and and it also raises this interesting question um that would would you're, you're talking beyond just your time in the league. Because I do think that there's one thing to say, hey, you play in my league, you sign this agreement, and then if you violate that agreement, you're kicked out of the league. That makes a lot of sense to me to say you could make a rule that says you, you cannot have a DUI while you're playing for me, and if you get one, you're, you're kicked out. I think it's a lot stronger when you're saying you can never have one in your background or your history Especially if someone is, you know, changed their lifestyle and their life and they moved on and they've paid their crime. You know, that's a lot to ask. But again, I can understand why some people would draw a line there. I could see someone saying, hey, I'm not allowing any domestic abusers in my league. I don't care if you've done your time and you've you've become contrite and you've done community service. I'm not interested in having you in my league and that you have absolute every right to say that. So I can see that, you know, you can draw a line in the sand and say, maybe, maybe you do want to put it that way. A lot of people have questioned, can you find somewhere around 320 players that are going to play at a high enough league level that are going to meet that criteria without you, you know, either making exceptions for superstars or giving up and, 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 you know, uh, going down i mean 30 if you paid everybody 100k and again i have no idea what they're really going to pay but let's just say 100k 40 men eight teams 100k that's 32 million a year um sounds like the cfl pays between 50 and eighty thousand a year and then nfl europa when it was going on was maybe closer to every team probably spent like half a million dollars but that was subsidized by the NFL teams cuz they were they were kind of like paying for the players to go over there and do it. And so I think their their additional pay to actually play during the season was less than $20,000, like, you know, between $14,000 and $18,000 to actually play, but they were getting kind of almost like a downside guarantee. It's so, kind it of like, like a it, developmental it, contract. Yeah, it kind of was in that sense. From what I can understand is that, you know, before that was killed, uh that's what they were spending. So I mean, you know, when I throw out a hundred thousand dollars, I have no idea what the going rate is. Um, I'm gonna guess it's gonna be somewhere between sixty thousand, and hundred and twenty thousand is what they're gonna be paying these guys, unless they decide to splurge and they really think it's gonna make a difference. But do you really think you're getting infinitely better talent at two hundred K a player than at a hundred K when, you know, the professionals are coming in at half a million to several million? So it's a very high bar. But it we do live in a a country that you know even though i know youth participation in in football has supposedly been declining we do pump out a lot of players at the end of a college season right that are a lot of talent that you know never plays again for their life professionally and so this would add at least another opportunity and it would be a domestic opportunity which also i think impacts some people's decision making which you know a lot of people are going to say i don't want to go live in canada or go to europe or so forth
3: right you know so dwayne johnson uh spraying a mattress down with Lysol in uh, Alberta somewhere.
2: And that was the other thing was they, they, you know, a lot of people said, well, Hey, you have all these wrestling connections. You used wrestling announcers before you've had pro wrestlers who are ex football players. What's their involvement going to be? And Vince, you know, I guess I'm guessing he did some, not he, but his, his firm did a lot of research and found that they thought that that was one of the most toxic combinations of the XFL was that people were associating it with the pro wrestling aspects rather than the football aspects. So he just kept saying, there's not going to be a crossover between the two, which raises questions about would Shane McMahon go work for alpha entertainment. Uh, he does not have a role with WWE besides being a performer and Vince, you know, has historically seemed to lean on family members or people he can trust rather than, you know, outside he, he, he leans on that small group of people he knows a lot of the time, uh, and I'd be really curious if, you know, we would see a Shane there or whether, you know, Dave Meltzer shot me down and said, no, that's not going to happen. I, I'm not 100 percent sure that within the next two years here, we're not going to see a, a switch over. What about a Perkins Miller? You know, the guy who was trying to run the WWE Network before he left to go do what? Work for did, NFL as head of digital. just Did Dave
3: give, any reason? Did just, Dave, did Dave give any, any reason why he thinks Shane wouldn't be
2: in there? I think um, – it was just literally because they thought it was so toxic, this combination of, of – yeah. no, no, Dave didn't say anything beyond just saying Vince was adamant that there would not be a connection. Yeah. And other people are like, yep, because Vince has never gone back on his word. Um,
3: <laughs> Vince even said like he, he's not going to be out front with the league. He said he, he thinks this – referring to the press conference itself, like this is the last time you may see me out front, that he's going to – again, saying that he's going to rely on other people and other experts and, and – He's going to listen to the fans and so forth.
2: And and a lot of that, I mean, A, that listen to the fans line, gosh, doesn't that sound like Vince McMahon 101 corporate talk? Like that's that's his favorite talking point, the one Stephanie has repeated ad nauseum, we listen to our fans, we listen to our fans. They have a um, test study every night. Yeah. But the other half of that is to say perhaps the media's focus on Vince McMahon as the leader of the XFL did in some ways become a poison pill. Because he was so reactionary, you know. Famously, he wanted to dr- blow up a Hyundai during the uh, the halftime of the the big game at the end because they had pulled their sponsorship. You know, he he was very vindictive and and felt like he was on top of the world at the time. And I think he's been humbled a lot since then. And then two that. I think he recognizes that he needs professionals, that this is not something where you can just take a bunch of wrestling professionals and say, you guys make a show every week. Can't we do a show every week? And if you listen to that XFL 30 for 30, there's a lot of that where they they just kind of seem to think, hey, can't we just use the already existing resources we have to do this other function? And that was very, um, you know, again, it was launched. It was announced, launched and closed in less time than he's getting to prepare himself this time.
3: Yeah, and I I think a lot of the issues that were raised in the the 30 for 30 documentary were, like, the teams didn't have enough time to practice, so having two years here to get ready should uh, accommodate that. And uh, I think a lot of—XFL got some things probably on the production, right? That's another thing that comes across in that 30 for 30 documentary is that a lot of the things that they did production-wise— not all the things, but some of the things have you know gone on to be adopted by the NFL. I think, like for example, like the the, the camera on the zip line across the field and things like that.
2: Yeah, and or, or, and...
3: or Bubba running around with the
2: camera. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I exactly. They picked up that right, one, but uh, yeah. Uh, so that's – it's it's very unusual. I wonder if um, you know we're going to see with this other examples of crossovers from what they've learned from wwe it says on their their fact on the xfl.com site the xfl's comprehensive player health and wellness policy will include drug testing so just the fact they're calling it the wellness policy i thought was very <laughs> funny um the salary structure is still in development but players will be paid to paid to play and paid more to win uh i don't think that's going to cross over from wwe though i guess you know uh obliquely it does right so you could say the people that are winning the most are you know john cena probably wins more at house shows than anywhere else and he gets paid the most along with brock but uh yeah there's other examples that are counter to that um do you think you know when you listen to that crazy little rap at the beginning of the thing it it did seem like there was some kind of fantasy football element to it where they're talking about trades and padded roulette and other things and, and that never came up at all during the the, the talk here. Do you think there'll be a heavier fantasy football element?
3: I think so. I want to say even in the, in the video in the, uh, I don't know what you call it, like the intro, like there's some sort of video intro to this press conference, right? And it may look like there were, there was going to be computers involved somehow, or like some sort of fantasy football element. Um, and, and Vince did say that you're going to be able to interact with this on big screens, on mobile devices and everything in between.
2: Yeah. Do you think that, um, you know, Vince McMahon is going to live to see this thing happen? He's 72 now. Vince McMahon says he's going to live forever. Yeah. It's, it will be very interesting to see if yeah. there's a, a, you know, what that changing the guard looks like. Because at a certain point, I can't imagine 80-year-old Vince trying to run a football league. Right. It, it really feels like something where he does have to take a back seat. So it's smart, at least, that he's starting off by saying it's not going to be me up front.
3: I mean, if you are going to do a football league – giving yourself two two years is probably a good idea but on the other hand that's the thing that makes me think like is this ever really going to happen because a lot can happen between now and two years and i think there was the dave tweet like this guy changes his mind you know every week or every other week so well, how many times is he, he going to change his mind between now and two years from now or yeah. is he even even going to be in in a state where he can lead this thing in two years from now
2: true true do you um, anticipate that you know, Alpha Entertainment is going to do anything else besides just be a football league here? I'm sure would like to do everything else. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't, though. What about what about kind of that decision to um, call it XFL? Was, was that, you know, what what did he say about that? And what were your thoughts about
3: that? I think you know, somebody asked him a question about whether, did, did you think about other names? And he said, yeah, we did. We did think about other names. And maybe were, he's referring there to the United Football League or the EuroFL, which we saw in some trademark records, right? Um, Yeah. He said no. We we decided there was a lot of equity. Equity was the word he used in the XFL name. And besides, we think it's a pretty cool name.
2: Yeah, it, it was interesting that that they went back to it. I do. I did notice that. Um, you know, one thing that really struck me was that they double down on XFL, we looked and saw the VKM Ventures things for United Football League and UFL and the trademarks for that were heavily, heavily challenged by the examiner, you know, from everything from likelihood of confusion to prior registrations. So it looked like those were going to take a lot of work to get going. Uh, The UFRL one I don't think has been evaluated very much yet, so I'll be kind of curious to see where that landed. For the love of football did not appear to have any concerns about them, you know, moving on with it. So uh, at the very least, for the love of football might still show up as a, a trademark that we might see with this. You look forward um, to
3: commentators saying it over and over again in 2020.
2: Yeah, it sounds that way, doesn't it? Um, but I, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we kind of move to a, a place here where the XFL is, you know, going to try to redeem the name XFL. Yeah. And it, it's funny, XFL.com is up, it's running again, but it's still registered to uh, Laura Dean's or whatever her name is, the IP lawyer for WWE. So it's it's still a, a WWE website, but it's hosting all this alpha entertainment content, which again suggests to me that I hope they have this licensing deal already done so that you can at least say, hey, it's done. You know, uh, Laura Dean's middle d- Lynn is the registrar because we don't want someone else to take it over. But yeah, the reason XFL stuff is going out for the separate company is because we made a licensing deal with them and it's all above the board and you should be happy.
3: Yeah, and then like from an economic perspective, uh, I I don't have a big issue with them reusing the the XFL name. I guess there's there's some toxicity there, obviously, because it was a you know a disastrous failure seventeen years ago. On the other hand, seventeen years ago, and I think the equity that he's referring to, if there is equity in that name, is like it probably helps you get the media message out there better from like the clickbait. Point of view, I feel like Vince McMahon, from, from a standpoint of clickbait, uh, XFL is good for putting in headlines and getting people to click on it and getting people to talk about this project that you started.
2: I mean, there was even in a Seeking Alpha article today called, Can WWE Benefit from the Launch of a New Professional uh, League? Yeah. Uh, I think we both actually uh, linked it here. Uh, it, it's, it's intriguing to see. I, I think it's a nothing article in terms of actually saying why this would benefit them. My my short of my short answer of it would be it benefits them because of um, one it's a licensing fee that hopefully WWE would show two it's um, a use of IP that they own and so it's uh, a good example of of you know being able to say that they they're able to license their IP and use it in in new ways so that they can talk kind of about the longer life stream of some of the things that they're bothering to spend money on you know keeping it up. Three, it suggests that there's a fertile sports rights market out there, and WWE is part of that same ecosystem, so it's a suggestion that somehow the two are connected. And four, it um, it keeps WWE in the news, and it makes WWE seem like they're a cutting-edge company that's full of information. Now, the counter to that can always be, A, your chairman of the board and president is running his own private company, uh, which is not going to benefit WWE stockholders, and suggests that he's going to be distracted Two uh, suggests that there's competition he on television. Otherwise, but yes, <laughs> there's competition in television. Three, it's a damaged brand, and it's it invoked a lot of ridicule. And four, there's a constant conflation between WWE and XFL, and right. so it's hard to say whether or not you're not going to continue to see um, a trickle down impact from negativity coming here. It's yeah. like you know uh, if. If there was a guy or if there was another company called PlayStation and it was doing something very different, you know. This is the reason trademarks exist, right, is is so that we can avoid confusion in the marketplace among similar things. And in some ways, XFL and WWE have become one. Yeah,
3: and, and I think it is to the to the public, to people like us who are following this closely and looking at documents and things like that and trademark filings. We, It's very clear to us, okay, yeah, these are separate companies and uh, they're supposed to be financially separate. But – to the average person this is oh Vince is, Vince is doing uh football again XFL and then WWE is doing football again and it's there is no distinction nobody's nobody the average person isn't going to know that these entities are as separate as they are supposed to be
2: yep yep so it's XFL will will you know I I don't know whether I I dread or I look forward to the next 3 years of you know paying attention to all of this because football's not my thing and also, then, in order just to even have a educated viewpoint when it comes to talent, right. it's kind of like if when when your friend asks you, "So and so just got signed. Are they a good talent?" You know, that's really hard if you're not following the indie scene or understand what talent looks like. And so it's almost like at that point, I have to go to someone who watches college football or wherever they're going to be getting these players from and say, "Well, what is there to say about this level of of talent here? Is it good? Is it bad?" is it going to go anywhere and then the other thing that's really funny about it is of course just the trickle down thing so like wasn't mike adamley a uh, announcer for the nfl uh back in the day or i'm sorry xfl and then of course years and years later becomes part of wwe so there's those elements too where it'll be kind of curious to see if there's connections about you know what talent or people show up in this xfl thing and then are going to show up for wwe despite what vince said you know is basil devito going to go back to to be part of this he said he doesn't want to bring in wrestling talent but would he bring in people that he would consider xfl talent say you know michelle wilson his uh, chief marketing officer you know where she started she was xfl she was a vp in xfl then she left to go work for the tennis organization and then she came back to wwe so there's a lot of examples where where people kind of join the xfl that either had a background with wwe or that might have been their first time they worked with WWE and then they came back later. So one of the other reasons to cover XFL and understand XFL is these are business relationships that do have an impact on WWE in my mind. And even you were saying, didn't you look up the address for Alpha Entertainment and it was like a minute from Stanford headquarters?
3: It is an office building right across the street from yeah. WWE headquarters, yeah.
2: I'm curious. You, you know you should look up is um, – I think it's called uh, – god, what was it? Not McMahon Ventures. Um, but there was another one. There was a, a Linda McMahon company that she started, um, and it was like a, a a political advocacy and speaking group about entrepreneurship and women leadership. I would be curious if they had the same address. That's a good question. We'll have to you look, look that what one the, up. What the name of that is. is, it, is it, yeah, Williams I Revolution have
3: it. Or something like that.
2: <laughs> I have it somewhere. It, it, it has the word McMahon, I believe, in it. Um, but I, I just can't remember exactly. But when she when she left to go work for the SBA, originally she said, "Who do you work for?" And she said, "I work for you know McMahon uh-huh. Ventures or whatever because it was her private company." And I'd just be curious if it's any of the same people. That was a funny line in there where um, one of the worst. I, I'm sorry, Justin Rosario's uh, questions at the very end were were unprofessional. I, I <laughs> yeah, did you catch that? He, he, uh, he put
3: him over as you're arguably the greatest promoter of all time, and you're gonna. He made some comparison to Roger Goodell and how he's gonna do a better job than Roger Goodell, who's the current NFL commissioner, if you don't know. I,
2: I get I get that you're trying to butter up, you know, the people you're talking to, but at a certain point there, I don't feel like you're being you, you just sound like you're being an unprofessional who's just begging for access, uh, rather than actually, you know, trying to say I work in the media and I have some standards and integrity. And, you know, the integrity would be to say Uh, what is, you know, what's, what did Linda say about this? Is she, you know, she's a member of the cabinet. What did president Trump say about this? You know, those are, those are fine questions to ask, but it was funny to see Vince basically know that a Trump was a hot button. He knew enough to be like, I'm not trying to associate this at all with Trump. And, and two to, there was that weird line. He goes, Vince Lombardi was once one of Linda's clients, which I have no idea what he's talking about there. Right. Um, Yeah. You never heard that before, huh? I hadn't. (laughs) I don't know what he's talking about. And then he goes, did you seek her opinion on this decision? And he goes, no. And That that was his complete
3: answer. He just said, no. And then he stared. And then, well, you know,
2: a little part of that is, again, you you don't want to associate with Trump. You shouldn't associate with the Trump, you know, like she she had specifically said in her, um, you know, testimony that she would not be involved in any business decisions that WWE was doing. She would recluse herself. And I'm sure it goes along with this to say want that, that they don't want to create this idea that someone in the administration and then their husband is starting a company. And yes, I talked to an administration official about it, and she's going to get me all these great tax breaks in all these cities. You know, you don't you don't want to create that uh, that idea that there's some kind of um, connection there. On the flip side, it sounds really weird to say, yeah, I'm investing 100 million dollars and I didn't tell my wife.
3: Yeah. And about the Vince Lombardi comment, Vince Lombardi died in 1970. And at that time, Linda McMahon would have been twenty-two years old, because like man, Vince, or Vince Lombardi died not too long after his Super Bowl appearances as, as, as coach of the Green Bay Packers. So, like, well, I have no idea what they were referencing there.
2: Did you have you Googled Vince Lombardi? Uh,
3: yeah, I mean, I'm Linda McMahon. Oh, I have not. No, I should.
2: Linda McMahon on Linda McMahon. Yep, here she goes. I found it. Yep. So she once said. In an article with Justin oh, well. Barrasio, which is why you know he's bringing this up, okay. he said, that's his story, Covington man. and Burlington had an open in the probate division, and I applied, said McMahon. There's an opportunity to apply, and I was a kid right out of college, and all they could say was no, but they took me on and they trained me, and that's where I learned about intellectual property. Vince Lombardi was a client of the firm, and I was able to learn about the trademarks of our clients and what copyrights they had. It was a real learning experience. So yes, apparently she did at one point um, kind of work for a. In 1969, she began working for a law firm as an entry level person. Though mm-hmm. so she translated correspondence from French to English, I, I had no idea Linda McMahon spoke French. Mm-hmm. That's a that's news to me. But uh, yeah, so that's the connection. So I think it was it was Justin just trying to you know throw out that he had learned this one little tidbit. But it was a pro, apropos to nothing. You know, It had absolutely no relevance at all about the conversation here. Uh, and, and it's the same thing. I used to work for a law firm, and I can tell you that none of the clients at that law firm were aware that I worked for that li- law firm. So if you uh, later find out that so-and-so was in fact a, uh, a client of a certain law firm in Minneapolis or in Kansas City, then uh, uh, I in fact do not know anything about them, and they do not know anything about me. So it's probably irrelevant. All right, so that was our XFL talk. Was there anything else you want to touch on on that? Um well, I just uh,
3: to mention again I wrote this column on uh on the XFL and on Vince McMahon and and a lot about it looks like he's going to have a rule. He did again, we we talked about it a minute ago, but it looks like there's going to be a rule. There's some intention to have a rule, though he wouldn't commit to it to having people stand for the anthem. Um and, I, and, and, and
2: your point here is that politi- even not being political is
3: political. Right. He said – and then one of the lines that he says is when somebody asks him about Trump and do you think Trump is going to support this or whatever. And he says, I have no idea if the president is going to support this and our our league is going to have nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with social issues. Um, while at the same time making it sound like there might be a rule about standing for the national anthem and you can't say that your your league is going to have nothing to do with politics if you're going to make it a rule that your players are going to have to stand for a nation's anthem, uh, th- that is a political act itself. If you're going to silence somebody's protest, that is a political act in itself.
2: It is. It is. It's. It's a. It's. It's a form. Of course, you're not denying speech because uh, you're not. You know, you're not the government inhibiting their speech. You are a private organization and. You, you always have a right as a private organization to do that uh, it's that's that that's why you can fire someone you know that's why you can you can criticize them for what they say or do uh, there's not there, unless they're a protected class or their acts are somehow protected in some way uh, there, there's nothing wrong with that. so it is important to, to point out that it's not about a um it's not a quote unquote freedom of speech issue the way that it's enshrined because you're not the government and have the ability to 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 knock them down i'm sure first amendment lawyers can get a lot more technical and, and speak to that but that's always important to say is you know when people people sometimes think that freedom of speech is sacrament sacram sacrosanct in the sense that you know everybody has it to say whatever they want whenever they want to anyone they want uh and have no consequences and that's not at all what it says
3: yeah and, and i think like what's underlying here is that I, I think at least in my opinion that the protests are protesting against a legitimate injustice relating to racial inequality police brutality and i think a lot of uh i don't know football fans or people in general just don't want to have to think about that uncomfortable issue and perhaps their responsibility or contribution to those problems
2: and and eventually i think it's going to be whack-a-mole all right you make them all stand for the anthem now they're wearing black armbands you make them all take the black armbands off now they're painting their faces now you'd make them stop painting their faces now they're uh right. you know now they're they're uh Doing interviews outside, you know, it's it's going to be whack a mole if you if you try to address protests through legislating, right? Corrective actions, you're never dealing with root causes of of the concerns that people are having. Uh, that but said, when these
3: rumors when these rumors first started about the XFL, I remember we talked about it on the show. That I think if if this if there is some any kind of uh, you know policing of of people's behavior while the national anthem is playing, that uh, there's going to be people who you protest anyway, in in one form or another, like you're saying. And then, what are you going to do then? You know, to to try to create some policy that prevents players from protesting is going to only, you know, it's was it was it the Streisand effect? Like the more you try to, uh, you know, control something in that way, the more the more light you're going to shine on, and the and the the bigger the problem is going to be for
2: you. There is the argument that says. What you'll be dealing with is a group of people that are very focused on trying to eke out a living in football. Mm -hmm. That maybe do not feel that they have the luxury of of protesting. Sure, and I don't mean that players. Yeah, and I and I don't mean that uh, negatively to say that you know everybody feels that it's a luxury. I, I just mean it's it that this might be a group of people that are afraid to do it because you know they're essentially saying this is my last resort for having a professional career and. You know, some people this might not be an issue to that they feel it's a big enough thing, especially in two years from now, that this is where they want to draw their line in the sand. So uh, it it almost in my mind makes it a bigger issue just by pulling them into it. And I honestly, I honestly think at this point he's making it a a point to try to almost make people want to watch the beginning of the game. You know, Vince McMahon, the promoter, I have a hard time believing does not. You know, controversy equals cash, as as Eric Bischoff would say. So it's hard to believe that Vince McMahon, the promoter, would would actually try to stifle uh, this this kind of little bit of conversation, knowing that it could lead to better ratings or, or more conversation. So,
3: and, and I and I think as far as like yeah, you're going to have players who are maybe more willing to comply because they're they're not the most elite players because the most elite players in, in the NFL for the most part. But I think you still you've got to. You're going to have a pretty large pool of players. If you're going to have eight teams with 40 players each, that's 320 players. And I think eventually you're going to find somebody who uh, I don't know who dares to violate a policy uh, to stand yeah. up for to stand up for racial inequality, for example. And uh, and I, I've had people like, you know, respond to the article saying, "Well, they're they're uh, well, they're oppressed millionaires," and I, and I think the issue is like well the people who aren't millionaires who are affected by by that issue they don't have the platform to protest and they don't have as strong of a voice you know but but nfl players do and nfl players even though they may be millionaires are are not by the fact of being millionaires immune from you know racial profiling for example
2: yep no that's very true i think we will be um exploring these things for a while i think uh the the timing of this is interesting because of course there's the question of what made you want to do this now is it because the XFL documentary was a hit and Vince saying no we felt this way for a while and and you could argue that the the trademark filing suggests that that you know for years and years and years they've been pushing this forward with XFL with he hate me with other things that they've been continuing to kind of revive and and make sure that they had some understanding around i do think the lead up to the thirty for thirty helped a lot because that spent obviously you're spending some resources and some time on trying to make sure is it worth protecting this stuff, and the decision with that then suggests okay well why is it worth it well what's the value of it well what could be the value of it and so forth and it drives you down that path of investigation. Uh, I think I would love to know more about who is you know the the other people associated with this. Right now we have one person's name, Lou <laughs> yes. Lou, Lou oh. D. It's, it's Vincent Arlo. Lou. Yeah. Yeah. Vince and Lou are the only two people I know right now associated with this thing. Yeah. And even mm-hmm. Lou has never sent anything out. I will say the f- vision sheet that they sent out about the XFL was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. And if you haven't seen it, I tweeted it um, from my – you know I tweeted it from my, my account to say, hey, everybody, look at this. Uh, but oh my lord, was that just ugly uh, that font that they used—you saw what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's—it's yeah, it's just this idiotic font, and it's—it's it's inexplicable that a, a media professional would look at this and say this is the right thing for us to do right now. But you know, when they—they they gave the fact sheet out here, it—it it said pretty much all the things that you and I just said. Now, uh, they mentioned football has 70 million fans driving a 14 billion dollar license plate or marketplace, and there's a seven month gap in play in today's medium media landscape and technology so you know the one thing that's missing from this is anything about international 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 you know this is still seeming to be a very u.s focused thing where well, george barrios has reminded us that football doesn't get over in india yeah so it, understands it's a, the game well but i mean at the same time there's you know there's games played in the uk now there's games that we're playing in mexico you know we we have been seeing a push and of course in in the cfl league so that we've seen a push for other countries to kind of you know, adopt American football and American football stars. So it, it's just intriguing to me here that, you know, he is, he is saying, I want to use us stadiums. I want to go to the cities where there is already football teams. You know, um, I want to play from February onwards. So it, it limits some of the, uh, you know, open air stadiums from being really in contention. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what uh, happens. And we and would be uh, remiss if we didn't mention that also on the, uh,
3: the alpha entertainment website in Vince McMahon's bio, it lists that uh, he drew 93,173 fans to uh, the Silver Dome in 1987. And and then in, again in 2016, he drew, let's see, 101,763 uh, fans to AT&T Stadium in Dallas. Wow. So uh, I, 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 not- I, I got those numbers off the top of my head, by the way. I want everyone to know I'm not referencing <laughs> any sort of uh, written document.
2: That's all in my brain. I- yeah, that's how I used to be with the um it was six sixty seven two eighty seven or whatever. Yeah, for, network like, subscriber numbers, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you, you struck me here that I should look up quickly uh who registered uh Alpha at LLC just to see who the who is on that is yeah. to see if it's you know which which lawyer it is. Was it Lou or uh, Vince? Well, right now it's showing me nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not happy to tell me at all. So let me let's try a different who is domain search thing here and see if maybe the uh, I can version will tell me a little bit more. So I do a lookup on it. I have to type in the words Paula and Boulevard because I'm doing a CAPTCHA. And <laughs> it is not pleased with this idea. It says no domains found. Let's try it with a uh, HTTP instead of HTTPS. Again. Nomics Radio, the only uh, station where you can be guaranteed to have live mm-hmm. research being done on air. That's right. uh, if you uh, would like to remind us to do more research off the air, you can always fund us to spend a little bit more time prepping every show by going to patreon.com slash Russellnomics. And uh, for $5 a month, you're able to get access to all our exclusive additional audio that we do for every show. And for uh, you know, $10 a month, you get access to the Google Drive, which... If you are an investor that is trying to find all the old trending sc- schedules and the old investor documents and everything else, that's a great resource because that will—it's it, amazing how much stuff that we've we've archived and kept that is very useful when you're going back years later to see what did WWE say about 2002 female viewership, things like that. Uh, so it's pretty fascinating. Um, WWE this week uh, released um, Enzo Amore in a very quick fashion. He went from basically accused to suspended to released. Fired. And fired, yeah. Uh, uh compl- you know, and and it released in the sense that they sent out a note that says and quote, WWE has come to terms on release of Eric Arnt, Enzo Amore, period. No, we wish him the best on future endeavors. Nothing else. Just no nope. it is done. Um, the suspension had come uh, the day before for the Raw 25 event, whereas there was kind of a fever pitch growing about the Enzo allegations based on the Twitter conversations that were happening and the um, existence of a police report in Arizona. And um, they, they announced that they had suspended him. I know they sent a note out to uh, the, the Wrestling Observer, F4W, where they wrote, quote, um, let's see here. I'm just trying to find the, the quote here. Oh, I guess I, I I must have copied the wrong thing here. No, it just said he had been suspended. WWE has zero tolerance for matters involving sexual harassment or sexual assault until this matter is resolved. Eric Arndt, a.k.a. Enzo Amore, has been suspended. Uh, the next night on SmackDown, Daniel Bryan opened 205 Live by saying that Enzo had abdicated the title. Mm-hmm. And uh, that they would announce what would happen with the title at next week's show after a new GM for 205 Live was announced. Uh, I don't know if you watched that portion of the announcement, but it was as basically as wooden as Daniel Bryan could possibly be. yeah um it was it was very interesting.
3: Yeah, and mean, what, so, what
2: else he going to do in that situation, I guess you know yeah, no, I mean, they they finally addressed it. A lot of people were curious if they would address it period. Um, and uh, a lot of people, you know, kind of saying, well, he wasn't convicted of anything. Why would he be, you know, uh, kicked out of the company? And um, I had tweeted earlier in the day, almost with a a premonition, you could say, uh, all about Section 913 saying, Wrestlers shall in all times act do regard to public morals and conventions during the term of agreement if the wrestler shall have committed or shall commit any act or do anything that – Is or shall be an offense or a violation under moral turpitude under federal, state, or local laws, which brings the wrestler into public disrepute, contempt, scandal, or ridicule, or which insults or offends the community or any employee, agent, or affiliate of promoter, or which injures wrestlers' reputation in promoter's sole judgment, or diminishes the value of wrestlers, professional wrestling services to the public or promoter, then at any time of such act or any time after promoter learns of such act, promoter shall have the right to find the wrestler in amount to be determined by promoter and the promoter shall have the right to immediately suspend wrestler and or terminate his agreement pursuant to section 12. So, I think that section is pretty a you could say it's open ended but it's also pretty clear that it basically says if you bring the company into disrepute if you bring yourself into disrepute if you appear to have violated a law if you and and we can we can punish you for when we find out about it or when it happened so it doesn't have to even be while you're necessarily employed for WWE it could even be that a, a previous thing and we've seen that with um you know, there was a, a, a woman's wrestler in developmental who I think was uh, Seth Rollins' girlfriend who had a bunch oh. of Nazi stuff on her Twitter line. Z- Zara, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there was complaints about that. And again, it would fall under this kind of um, section of the contract that basically says that we reserve the right to basically at Shriver, I believe, yeah. terminate you if you feel that you are, are basically violating either the standards of the community or… Or if you've broken a law or if you're bringing us into disrepute, ridicule, et cetera, or if you've injured or, or in some way are, are making an employee or an affiliate of the company feel uncomfortable, which you could also argue might also a- apply to, you know, bad-mouthing USA Network or, uh, you know, getting into an argument with an employee or a road agent or something like that. So or maybe, a lot of uh, complaining about the president. Well, is the president really a uh, affiliate of the W of WWE? <laughs> I think I think that would be the one that you'd get very. That yeah. that's a very tight line. I think, but you could argue. What if you were complaining about Linda McMahon? Would you be? Would you? Would you be uh, picking she on doesn't someone? Work for the company? She doesn't, but she is associated with the company because her husband works for them, mm-hmm. and she owns she, shares. I guess. She uh, has about tiny 500,000 shares of her own. Uh, an affiliate. She's. Yeah. In, Iliot, perhaps. But yeah, so that was interesting. Um, And then uh, a lot of people saying that one of the reasons that he was so quickly kicked out was basically that he knew this was in process. He knew this was happening, and he never told the company or warned them that it was coming. And I believe this this investigation has been
3: underway since October, and he would have known about it since then, apparently. And he did not let WWE know.
2: Yeah, and and basically the, the idea being that WWE will be willing to deal with certain situations if you're in real time or if you let them know that in real time this is going to be an issue but they have absolutely no appetite for someone who they don't think is necessarily cooperating with them or being on the truth with them now is that to say we can't find examples where they've they've gone back on their word for things like that of course you know um there's a lot of situations where weird things have happened, and WWE has taken strange sides and and made weird bedfellows. Um, there's also, you know, you could look at the whole Page saga over the last few years here, and you know the decisions that they've made around um, how, how they've dealt with Alberto Del Rio leaving and coming and leaving and and all the different things that have happened with um, different things, and it just says a lot about, you know, they. They have some tolerance for sure, even if you're causing you know situations that might bring the company quote to disrepute.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, that said, I don't think they have any tolerance for a someone with a rape allegation, which I think is a pretty serious allegation for them because it, it's it's so hard for them to kind of avoid such a you know such a loaded uh, phrase. Two, there is so many drugs involved in the storyline here. That there would be a stronger argument that, okay, even if it wasn't true, are you denying you were there? Are you denying that there was drugs around it? are you denying all these other things and it it definitely challenges that three uh sounds like he'd been a lightning rod, not always everyone's favorite person uh and so you know your friends your friends matter in those sort of situations, yeah, and yeah. The th- the things we've heard is that he's been warned about uh i don't I don't know if if by
3: authority figures in the company itself but he's been. I've read that he's been warned to some extent about the kind of company that he keeps. And uh, and it sounds like he he lives the gimmick, he believes his own gimmick.
2: And uh, Yeah, and and that he's, you know, badmouthed wrestling said he could make more money outside of wrestling, said that he's, right. you know, he's famous on his own and, 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 and doesn't... there's
3: there's the story that's been denied about him being kicked out of the locker room and he has to dress in the hallway. I think we've heard that from a, from multiple sources that he's dressed been dressing in the hallway. Of course, until he was fired recently. So
2: uh, there was a statement from Enzo's legal counsel uh, basically saying – I'll just read. Uh, over the last two days, um, the victim, uh, Philomena Sheehan, has made multiple public accusations against Eric Arndt, also known as Enzo Amore in the WWE, including allegations of sexual misconduct concerning an October 2017 incident in Phoenix. Mr. Arndt fully and unequivocally denies those accusations. He is cooperating with the authorities in this matter and looks forward to having it resolved in a timely manner. Neither Mr. Arndt nor his counsel will be making any further comments. On this matter and that was from Timothy Eckstein, a lawyer in Phoenix uh, as part of the Osborne Meldon uh, law firm. So that's you know where it stands. Uh, I don't expect to see Enzo Amori on a wrestling program in the future. He was charismatic but not very good wrestler and uh, I would be very surprised that other companies would necessarily want to. Get in bed with him, especially considering he seemed to think of himself as very high-priced talent. And I don't see other companies of seeing a value to his high-priced talent. Although, although we did hear that Mike Johnson had
3: already heard from five indie promoters who wanted uh, his contact information, Enzo's contact information.
2: That doesn't surprise me. I certainly could see him on the indie scene. Um, you know, he's, he's – when you're a catchphrase-heavy wrestler, you have a little bit of a life there. You can Santino it, you know, and especially if you're not retiring because of neck injuries – but uh, on the flip side, I do think that there'll be in this internet age. I think there'll be incredible criticism oh, yes. of any India organization that decides to any promotion you know, that works with him will be buried on Twitter for one yeah. thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see it more even in um, international promotions. You know, kind of trying to bring him up is sometimes we see with that sort of situation where you know they suddenly go on a tour of the Philippines or something like that. Or some, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you listen to Cliff Compton talk about it, it's it's where is my television show showing me to be a star elsewhere in the world? So, you know, Nigeria got Smackdown for the two years he was on TV, so he could go be a star in Nigeria. So, you know, I I could certainly see that. It's just a question of whether he really wants to make his life doing that. And, you know, I have no idea how much money he was making and how much money he was spending. So it sounds like this is going to be the sort of thing where, like a lot of sexual assault cases, it's not always a easy open and closed case where you can say oh this person is a saint and this person is a sinner it's it's murky but that doesn't mean that victims don't deserve the right to be heard and that they can't be victimized so
3: and even if i i don't know what the right way to, is to say it but charges i don't think any if charges have been filed yet um, I wouldn't say there's been
2: charges filed, But anyway, there's an investigation we, he's been a, going on. Yeah, there's an investigation of whether or
3: not- The point I want to make is like, even if he's like legally exonerated, sort of like Rich Swan was, his charges were dismissed, there's, you know, and that there's still going to be a, a damaged brand to, to Enzo Amore from an economic uh, point of view. But And again, that, and just because charges are dropped, that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, something bad didn't happen.
2: Yeah, it it is, I think, always astounding that um, there are some very large, big superstars in this world of professional wrestling who have had some very serious charges against them. And ultimately, because of some environment or some decision, we don't think of them so heavily. So things like, you know, all the, the cases against steve austin and i should probably look up what exactly the charges that he's you know pled guilty to versus just saying the charges because I, I don't want to make it sound like i'm trying to downplay criminal things that have happened uh domestic you violence In, cases yeah, yeah you know, case
3: of hogan like, it doesn't involve domestic violence or or sexual abuse but you know the uh the uh, racial uh, epithets that he used uh, that came out on video or came out from the uh, the the audio tape or the videotape or
2: whatever it was yeah,
3: I mean, persona non grata for at least WWE for
2: now. Yeah, so, yep, yeah, yeah, domestic violence charges against uh, Steve Austin specifically in 2002 and another situation in 2004. Uh, I don't know if, if that one ever went to court or not, but yeah, so things like that where you could say, hey, he was on Raw 25. We certainly did not. Um, right. We did not hold make that the uh, the legacy that most wrestling fans have for Steve Austin, Uh, and I don't know if that's just a legacy of the fact of, you know, where where the internet and Twitter and outrage and understanding and everything else was at the time, or what. So, it's it's a very uh, convoluted thing. I think a lot of times trying to understand all these people who, uh, you know, like they say, if you're looking at a guy like Jerry Lawler or things like that, there's a lot of situations where. You know, I think now people would think of these people much in less positive lights than the way they've been portrayed in the most recent uh, ways. Now that they've kind of outlived their their cases, you mentioned Ritzwan. All his charges have been dropped. Uh, specifically, he was charged in a December tenth situation where he had charges of false imprisonment, kidnapping, third degree felony, and a misdemeanor domestic battery, touching or striking between him and um, uh, the young. Su young, who is his wife, her real name, uh Vinara Riggs, and uh, some kind of an argument that uh, ended up after a show and uh, charges and issues about driving and getting out of the car and, and very conflicting statements from people. So um, hard to say where we land on all of that except for to say it's been – they've been dismissed and I highly, highly expect that you will see Rich Schwann back on television again. I mean I'm trying to remember exactly the timeline around Adam Rose, whether he ever appeared on television again after the the, uh, charges against him with his wife. I want to say he did not. But he was also kind of at the end of his entire run with the company and I think at that point they were kind of fed up with him. So – uh, it'll he, had be, already,
3: he had already had a wellness violation at that point.
2: Yeah, so it'll be very interesting to see uh, when Rich Swan comes back and how that's you know received and and what that deals and you know whether or not they go on a PR campaign at some point with it. You know where they they you know even put it forward in some way to to kind of try to defuse it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you, you might even wonder if it's going to be like a Ray Rice situation or something where they you know try to put his wife on television with him or something in one of these cases. I imagine
3: was arrested on the 11th of May, 2016. And then he requested his release on the 23rd of May and he was granted. ah, There you go. So I don't, don't believe he's on TV in the time between. And that was the, the wellness violation was over Adderall. He said, and yeah,
2: though, again, wrestlers can say whatever they want. And the company doesn't usually come out and try to contradict it. So it's, it's easy to say these things, you know, same with Roman Reigns when, when he was being accused in the steroid, thing and then said, yes, I had a wellness violation, Um, you know, that would seem to infer that it somehow is related to, you know, steroids. (laughs) But at the time, it had always been rumored that it was some kind of more like a speed Adderall type thing. Yeah. opinions to, to keep energy up. Uh, the last big one coming out is the Daily Beast uh, publishing a copy of the police report from a 2006 incident uh, the day before the Royal Rumble in 2006, where Vince McMahon was accused uh, in an alleged tanning bed incident in Boca Raton, Florida, where a 22-year-old employee of the Tanzabar Tanzalon Salon had accused McMahon of simple battery and showing her nude photos of himself on his cell phone. Uh, so the showing state, his nude photos of himself. Yes, showing showing nude photos of himself. And um the, the entire uh police report, which it previously we had not seen, um, was published by the Daily Beast. Uh it said basically that in the end prosecutors decided not to pursue charges, and so it was I think they said exceptionally cleared and the paperwork has been um uh thrown out, or at least some of the other paperwork has been thrown out. Uh Did and you so learn was, what exceptionally cleared means? No, I don't know exactly what that means yet. So if any of uh, any Florida lawyers – maybe I should ask uh, uh, Kenny H. He might know um, what that means. I'm guessing it basically means that if they're not going to bring forward uh, prosecution or charges of some sort, then they just make a decision that there's really nothing more that's going to happen with that case because there's not new information. I know when the case was described here – uh, if you read the police report, it does talk about looking at surveillance information to kind of val- validate that, yes, there was a Hummer there and, yes, Vince McMahon was there. But also in the, the case, it talks about, you know, going into a tanning room where there are no um, cameras. So it's hard to, you know, substantiate the the incidents of the uh, assault because we don't have necessarily camera footage of what was happening at that time, though I'm sure there's something about people entering and leaving rooms
3: yeah. And, there would there would be I don't, I don't know if you've ever been to a tanning salon. As in, in my days as a pro- professional wrestler, I have I've been to one or two. And like you walk in and you go at the front desk, then they they send you into a, a big closet basically where the tanning bed is.
2: Yeah. So it it it's very hard to say um what is going to be made of this. Like we say, there's a lot of difference now, I think, of how people are treating these allegations and these things against people versus ten Years ago, fifteen years ago, where you know it, it does seem like a lot of people their memories. Someone was asking why aren't we talking more about this, and I was just saying, well, this came out ten years ago, and you know it was talked a lot about at that time, and uh, we didn't have Twitter at the time, so I'm sure for a lot of fans this is news to them, but uh, a lot of other people remember the the Observer on the 13th described the event. One thing that I think a lot of people have forgotten about is about two weeks later they did a skit on television with I think it was Mickey James and Trish Stratus were doing an angle at the time I think that was like her stalker angle mm-hmm. and they basically the way vi- the way Dave Meltzer reads into this is that they were taking the allegations from the tanning bed case and using them in the angle here portraying a woman in the angle I think in this case Mickey James as a as a psycho girl and some of the things that were being said supposedly because I think it was a, a fake boyfriend for Trish Stratus and then like Mickey James were talking And so I think they were saying that some of the exchanges seemed like they were coming from this tanning bed. As a man
3: acting out his frustrations, perhaps.
2: Yeah. Which, you know, we'd seen earlier in that year or the year before with like the uh, Edge and Ric Flair road rage skit and things like that, where sometimes where someone would accuse Vince or somebody else in some kind of a crime. And then suddenly we'd see a skit on Raw that somehow was parodying an element of that to to make the, the accuser seem like some kind of fool or buffoon. You know, all of RTC, you could argue, was was a reaction to the oh, it absolutely the, was. You know, PTC parents, parents Television Council. Yeah, um, yeah I, I
3: I think like as far as like, well, why are these issues so so much bigger of a deal now? I I think is. Probably because they should be a big deal, and I th- and I, th- I think of this like Marshall McLuhan line where he says that you know, new media is so pervasive in their personal, political, economic, aesthetic, psychological, moral, ethical, and social consequences that they leave no part of us untouched, and that we we're forced to be more involved with each other's problems. The more you know, the more deeply we become engaged and surrounded by media, because we're we're instantly able to be aware of everybody's problems or or celebrations or whatever it might be.
2: I, I think the other piece of this is that essentially the, the case here is saying that there's probable cause is what the, the investigators wrote at the time to believe he did intentionally touch against the will blank, contrary to Florida statute 78403. And um, what we see at the very end of this police report is that uh, SAO, which I'm assuming is uh, some kind of state's attorney. Uh, jill Richstone stated upon review of witness statements there is a lack of independent evidence to support the allegations against vince mcmahon the state declines to file charges against mcmahon case exceptionally cleared or x cleared is what it said so it sounds like when the when they made the decision to not pursue it they that's when it became exceptionally cleared um it's intriguing you know to say the least I I would also say that we do also have a society where we say we believe in the benefit of, um, you know, innocent until guilty. So he was not convicted of this crime. And so to, you know, use this as evidence against him would be uh, prejudicial, I would think, because uh, he was never convicted of it. I I agree. You could argue that there's other patterns or other facts about this that are very disturbing and are very questionable in terms of both his – his history, you know, it's funny. Like he talks here about sending a uh, uh, he he wanted her to take photos of her him so he could send it to his girlfriend in New York, yeah. <laughs> which you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, wow, what is what is this? What does this mean? Uh, but it is what it is in terms well, of. Well, he's
3: not talking to his wife about a uh, hundred million dollar investments yeah. anyway. So
2: yeah, well, and I mean, he it was very. Um, in in the steroid trial, I believe it came out very much that he was having an affair at the time with his uh, secretary, who was like a former playmate. Um, so, I mean, there, it's it's not to be said that Vince McMahon has been monogamous his entire life. I don't think uh, I
3: think that's been proven on the record not to be true. And so, there's the uh, the female referee story from what 1990,
2: right? Uh, I I don't know if that was ever on the record or or proven in some way. I, I I'm unfamiliar. But, yes, I, I think there's been uh, accusations levied against him and certainly accusations, too, that, you know, perhaps there was even uh, female talent in the company that felt yeah. uh, that there and was pursuing.
3: And I think you'd see certain things, disturbing things in the W program itself that you can sure, surely find in the archives of the W network where, you know, he, here he is, you know, owner of the company. <laughs> he's the boss putting himself on programming. And, you know, he's a guy position of power who's like booking himself to like, you know. Make out with, you know, the divas or whatever it is. You know. Oh yeah, in, yeah. Or he's in the that,
2: Shangri- shangri-la broom closet one. Yeah, for or sure.
3: Or the, the thing that, that gets gift all the time, where he's like got got
2: Keebler's legs over his shoulders and and so on. Yeah. And, and you know, it. I would say if there was evidence that you know there's a cover up where you know Vince somehow got the attorney to drop the case, or there's evidence that you know there's other assaults that have been covered up. His role and his position as the chairman should be challenged, you know, that that would make a lot of sense, because I would think that it would violate the clauses that would also be going into being a leader of that company that he's kind of setting out for himself here. And I do think that one of the reasons we're certainly hearing this kind of coming back to like here is kind of this focus on him on the decency principle of his XFL. And saying, you know, or would – I joked at one point, would, you know, for instance, being accused of, of uh, federal steroid charges, would those right. be sort of the sort of thing that you would consider someone not to be decent about? Um, would that exclude you from a role in the XFL? The quality
3: so, of the human being.
2: Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Obviously, most of the records of this, because there was no charges filed, because we have this police report – it looks like basically it went away after 2009, and they threw away the other records. and And that's not uncommon with record retention. That you know, not every single case has every record preserved for in for the rest of lifetime, especially if charges are never filed in those cases. But um, yeah, I think it's a uh, I think it's a damning thing to uh, kind of come out one more time here. And it will be curious to see if at some point WWE does react to this new case. And I don't think this is going to be the last article about sexual assault, sexual harassment, and um, sexual uh, misconduct by professional wrestlers that is going to be published this year. And specifically, I think that The Daily Beast is going to be one that's going to be pursuing aggressively stories about gender inequity and sexual assault and other issues um, around professional wrestling this year. I would not be at all surprised to see more articles on that.
3: I I, want to say, like, ultimately, they should. And whatever... Whatever truth is revealed, if if, if more stories come out and they're they're true, I think that'll – to get those stories out there and to get the – to have people face the consequences that they should face for that misconduct should only make wrestling better in the end, hopefully.
2: I agree. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Raw 25. Did you watch any of the show? I
3: I caught bits and pieces of it at the very end. I caught that – whatever uh, the click was doing and dx was doing to uh the revival i th- i think you watched most of it though didn't you
2: i watched most of raw and most of smackdown Mixed match challenge and uh, a little bit of 205 live so it was quite a uh, quite an investment in my time you and
3: 4 million others
2: yeah 4.8 million for the 8 p.m 4.64 million for the 9 p.m and 4.15 million for the 10 p.m which uh first time since uh you said april 2016 though didn't sometime uh wasn't there also a piece that said it was like the best ratings for three years or four years or five years like Mm -hmm. went back to 2014 for like what the last time they had done as well or maybe i'm thinking of april 2016 i guess that that is yeah i guess that is more than a year and a half so the the post WrestleMania 32 episode did four million that was the last time raw did more than four million domestic viewers so uh very strong opening the uh
3: the spreadsheet with all of the Showba's daily data in it
2: uh you're you're absolutely right no i'm i'm i was looking at something very very different um it uh, apparently though the 1000th raw special in 2012 did much much better because that was six million viewers so uh it is also interesting to kind of note that it, it suggests a couple things number one that there is this audience that's out there that is willing to tune in if there's Certain things that intrigue them or interest them, you know. When I did my poll on on my Twitter feed, forty four percent of the people that voted said they were what I called an infrequent viewer, which is someone who watches less than once a month. And that's a a that's a pretty uh, pretty loose title, right? You know, watch something less than once a month, and I'm still going to call you frequent. Or infrequent is is all you have to do, and so it was you know almost forty four percent of of a hundred. So it says a lot about you know how many people are out there as variable viewers, and the challenges you have in my mind around when you micro target your constant audience, how much of that audience that you're still excluding because they're very uninterested in how you've micro targeted and how you've marketed it yourself. Yeah, it, it, I think it tells you like this is. In, in some ways, this is the sort of viewership
3: they, they could be doing every week if the sense that I get among wrestling fans or among partially engaged wrestling fans is that they don't feel like this, like any WWE programming other than maybe WrestleMania and a couple other pay-per-views are must-watch, must-see programming. A lot of it is skippable. A lot of it is not deeply meaningful. A lot of it is not very consequential. A lot of it doesn't acknowledge recent past, recent history, as well as distant history. So it doesn't feel like a very important program to watch, like you're going to miss out on anything.
2: There's also the, the issue of saying, I don't know if this is what they could be getting every week, but this is definitely the peak of what they could be getting. I, I do think between January and March, this is the sort of ratings that they could be harnessing. Uh, I, I do think during football season, a lot of those casual viewers, you're just not going to win. And so I, I don't know if you could be getting $4 million during, you know, football season. So it helps to be on a non-football week and all those other things. But absolutely that there's a, um, you know, just a, a, a huge thing. I think the other thing that's a big point to me is that the 10 p.m. hour is the lowest hour of Raw. This has been true in 2017. This was true in 2016. This has been true for some time. And so it's funny sometimes when we talk about who main evented Raw and what a big deal this is or that is, when I'd say, by the way, that's the lowest rated hour. So, you know, are you really – should you hang your hat on the fact that you main evented and you did better than the other program that doesn't do as well?
3: Right. And, and yeah, there's something, something of a, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy or a dialectical proposition here that um, they've deprioritized the main event of Raw. The main event of Raw used to be the, the, the focal point of the show, the most dramatic point of the show every week or, or roughly, and it's often not now. It's, it's, it, I think there's been a clear change in that vision.
2: And and of course, then you do you do see them react to that in certain ways. Where yeah, you're you're programming Braun Strowman or John Cena or whoever in the earlier hours because you know more people are going to be tuning in. And to a certain point, maybe it's just a fundamental rethinking of how you structure a show at this point. Because yeah. I don't know if you're going to reprogram people to continue to build throughout the show anymore. Yeah, if, if you have committed to this is
3: you know our business is going to have a three hour raw because that's what's best for for us financially because of the TV rights, then I, I don't see anything fundamentally wrong with deprioritizing the importance of the final segment.
2: The, the other thing that really struck me when I did my poll, and I had 266 voters. So this is by no means a scientific poll because it's, A, just my Twitter followers, and it's only was only run for about eight hours the day after Raw. But I think 266 is a decent sample of people. That's interesting. Um, and what I found was I asked, OK, you have four choices. Do you watch or not? So are you a common watcher or an infrequent watcher? And again, my definition was once a month you you watch the majority of Raw is how I defined it. So even if you just tune in and watch a match here and there, I wouldn't call you a, a frequent watcher. And and the question was, did you like or dislike the show? And people were evenly divided on liking and disliking Raw 25 if you're a common watcher. And it was three to one against if you're an uncommon watcher. So only 11 percent. Out of the 44 So 1 in 4 liked it And 3 out of 4 disliked it 33 out of the 44% disliked it And I think that says something too That it's interesting that I would have said Oh this Raw 25 is a feel good thing For the people that are infrequent viewers Because they don't feel like they have to connect To what's happening week to week here They're not promoting the Royal Rumble For goodness sake So um, this is meant just to be a feel good Nostalgia trip where everybody sees the, The people they haven't seen forever And they do funny little skits and I would have thought wrestling fans that watch every week are going to feel cheated, whereas nostalgic fans are going to love it. And instead, the opposite happened, which suggests the people that are around now they'll swallow whatever's being fed to them because they are the hardcores and they believe in it. Versus the people that are <laughs> the the people that are 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 infrequent viewers, they didn't feel that there was enough originality, nostalgia connection going on and then we talked about it with some people where it was things like you know bringing out the women and having them wave and then walk away or bringing out all the managers in the sketch backstage with boogeyman and brother love don't you think it would have been more impactful even if you're doing modern wrestling to you know put brother love with one of the acts brother love comes down with new day they do something together and then some other manager comes down with some other current superstar Like that would have been more fulfilling and interesting to me because it would have combined old and new and, and kind of bridged that gap in some fun way in a way that I felt like this was just completely, you know, doing backstage skits with these people is not enough that that doesn't in any way get it creative. I don't know if you saw that Austin interview he did backstage. No. Oh, my God. Did he bury a guy? It is amazing. He so he comes backstage after doing his segment and and the guy's like, well, uh, Steve Austin, how's how's it to be here tonight? And he goes off and he, he cuts an Austin promo and the guy's like, thank you. And Austin grabs the guy and he's like, what's your name? You bring me all the way here and you ask me one question and then you think you're done. Look, I, I'm a pro. I I actually drew money in this business. Is one of his lines. And he's like, you don't you don't invite me here and do this and then just walk away from me here. You got to have more than one question than that kid. And it was just it was he was just burying basically how scripted both it was, but also just like the fact that they were basically just treating him as a plug in commodity rather than, you know, actually being like, hey, here's a here's a charismatic guy and you got to make it work for yourself. As opposed to just, you know, you do this – you punch this hole here and you smile here and you walk there. And Sounds
3: like a live, subversive critique of W
2: Product. It was something else. It is very interesting, that little thing where like it very much felt like he was – um, heavily criticizing a little bit how he was being used, you know, not doing a promo, and also the fact that he was criticizing just kind of the complacency that they seem to be presenting their their interviews with, and the complacency that the something he's talked about a lot his his feeling that that talent is too complacent and that they're not you know agitating for change. I I think I think I wrote this in the uh, How Wrestling
3: Media Creates Stars column that like the the kayfabe now is that. That this product is competent, that, that Vince is still a competent booker. That's the kayfabe that has to be protected. That's that's the thing that can't be uttered now because that's the thing that protects, protects your business, protects you in the business now because you have to keep a good relationship with WWE. And that's the thing that nobody will say out loud who has much power.
2: Overall, I liked Raw 25 because it was enough for me. I, I, I get though that you know I was in the minority. so it's I, I think it doesn't matter whether or not I liked it because uh, it sounds like the majority of the people walked away. you know, still 52 percent of the people between both the, that commonly watch and infrequently watched voted they disliked it. So the fact that it wasn't even close overall and the fact that one side of the the coin, I'd argue the side that they really want to get back was so low, that's bad. What was raw 25? Raw 25 to me? was a plea to the TV networks to show how much eyeballs they can draw to a source and use as leverage in their upcoming um, negotiation. That's all it is to me, is is that it's, it's a card. And the reason they did not promote Royal Rumble is because, to them, they're going to make the same amount of money on the Rumble, whether or not 50,000 or 100,000 new people sign up. And in fact, most of those people are getting it for free since they're handing away the WWE network right now just so they can push those sub numbers up a little bit. Even though they are at least very good about saying what's a paid sub and what's not a paid sub, the converse of it is that they have some currency here where they can say, "I can get four million viewers if you just give me the right, you know, opportunity, the right platform. I can do four million, no problem."
3: Yeah. And and as far as who liked the show, I mean, we heard that uh, Manhattan Center fans in the Manhattan Center were pretty upset, at least a lot of them were. I rate, the show I rate, yeah. There. <laughs> I, I, I saw a video of bullshit chants. You know, I think ticket prices were were not cheap, That a lot of ticket prices were over $100. Um, and I saw, I don't know, on Facebook, probably some of my wrestler friends, you know, you know, do the um, the, the shallow, you know, oh, well, these guys are complaining, and they, they're the ones who paid $400 for a seat and I, I think that that just speaks to the the arrogance that still exists in within wrestling within wrestling internally internally uh hopefully not eternally uh that uh you know we're not we're still not treating uh fans like customers like people who have a valid opinion you know it's like it's so dismissive of, of uh, people who are supposed to be the consumers that financially support this business, and we're still treating them like they're you know they're, they're lowly peons who, whose opinion doesn't really count. So.
2: It, it it's a challenge to have empathy on both sides. I find sometimes that I think I hear so like whenever the schedule gets put out. Everybody tweets me and says, why are they not coming to Grand Forks, North Dakota more often? We are, the most, we are the most Advent fans. How dare they go to Phoenix for four nights for Royal Rumble? Don't they know that we're you – know—and and, and they, they get indignant about the choices that these companies make. I think it was a cash grab. I think it was a, it was a poorly thought out cash grab in the sense that they, they had so little to offer those people that it was wrong for them to do it. I, I did mark out huge when um, – who is it? Ivan? or whatever was in the front row. Uh no, Vladimir, Vladimir, Vladimir was in the front row of the Center. Hey, no, not, oh, not Ivan the Impaler, Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, Vlad, his, his brother. I don't know, are they related? That's a good question. Um but I I I, I get the fact that I think they just mis that because at at one point It's hard for me to always feel bad for wrestling fans who pay money, go to a show, and then are disappointed by it because a little bit of it is the way the law says at least is basically if the band comes on stage and plays one note, they've fulfilled their contract between you and them. And in most places, unless there's some kind of promotional guarantee that says you can't mispromote things, there's very little contract between the consumer and the, the person. Now, am I saying that's the right way to run a business? No. But I just want to make it clear that you know, they don't, quote, unquote, owe you anything. The, the punishment is when they come back in town and right. right, punish them by not giving them their money. I think in this case, they normally give people a pretty good show. I think they normally do, in fact, give people what they they um, have earned. And it is frustrating in certain situations where television is involved. You have to, I think, take a. Pill that says sometimes it's going to be bittersweet, where they're going to spend a lot of time worrying about a TV audience at home rather than a, an alive arena audience, and I feel like a lot of the criticism you'll read is people who don't seem to understand that, even though it's been this way for twenty years, that they care more about the people at home than they care about the people in the arena. That's why live shows, if it if it's live non broadcast and they disappoint you, I think you have a lot better point of contention. I will contend they mishandled the manhattan center situation not on the ticket side because i i don't think you're entitled to anything because of the tickets being what they are i think they mishandled it on the sense of actually just presenting a full product to that room period yeah
3: and i and i think there's you know you can I, I we i listened to this uh cnbc was it davos talk life hacks live talk that with uh with stephanie mcmahon we might talk about more but i'm gonna i want to bring up one point from it uh that I think the, the interviewer in there somewhere somewhere says that you have a deeply engaged audience, and I think I think that's really true. Like wrestling fans are this very deeply engaged audience that we don't see, I think, in other forms of entertainment or culture. And uh, and I think back to what uh, philosopher and uh, WCFO George Barrios said uh, the other week about how the wrestling audience, the fans. You, if you talk to to, to fans. Yeah, they think whenever their their childhood was, that was the most popular era, or and and they think that whatever the thing is that I like best or I want most about wrestling or WWE is is the thing that I th- you know I think that's the way it should be. There should be more of that in WWE, and I don't know where I'm where I'm going with this. No,
2: no, no. I hear what you're saying. You're just saying basically that they they're so dedicated to wrestling that they they love it in spite of themselves and in spite of what they're given and. That they're so blinded and myopic in their understanding of what is successful or good because it invokes nostalgia over content a lot of the time where it's very difficult for them to sometimes separate. You know, when you talk about what programs drew money versus what programs were really well-booked versus what programs do you remember and enjoy fondly, those Mm -hmm. three things are rarely all in line with each other you know you talk about the you talked about it too about the aesthetics of pro wrestling that there's a difference between being financially successful and being artistically successful yeah. cena now versus I, I the rock was, was, was the main event behind. yeah cena versus the rock was the main event of wrestlemania for 2 years in a row cuz they could make a lot of money off of it not because it was the most artistic and interesting match that they could possibly present it wasn't going to be flair steamboat but it was a better match than hogan andre if, if you
3: get what i'm saying there yeah like rock rock cena by the time, whatever year that was, 2012 and 13, right? By the time that 2012 and 13 comes around, the standard for wrestling match quality has changed a lot. And but, but it's, it's evident in the, in the difference in the match quality between a Hogan-Andre and a Roxena match.
2: And at the same time, it's also saying, is it fair to compare one with the other? Because, you know, did Hogan-Andre do what they needed to do at that time for that audience? Yeah, and I'm heart, not, I'm not even saying scene, that. I, I mean, I you'll hear people who... who remember it fondly and you'd be like, have you watched that match? Have you seen how many back scratches there are in that match? Yeah. And I'm not even saying it's an apples to apples comparison. I'm saying like between
3: nineteen eighty seven and two thousand twelve that the apple evolved to become a slightly different species.
2: Yeah. And and at the same time, the Apple involved to say the biggest stars should be the ones that are going to draw the biggest house. And rarely is it also the best workers that are also those biggest stars. That they're often incongruous with each other. And I think as time
3: goes on, they become more and more congruous. Is that, is that a word?
2: <laughs> uh, perhaps. I think as, as the overall level of athleticism that's being required. But at the same time, Enzo Amore was your 205 champ. Not because he was a great wrestler, but because he was very charismatic. Absolutely.
3: Matter. Absolutely. And so personality is still the number one thing. Which Stephanie McMahon reminded, reminded me of in this talk. And it is. There's no question about that. But wrestling has become, wrestling match quality has become more important in recent decades.
2: Which, in a way, you could almost bring it back to our X, XFL conversation to say, will Vince McMahon building a league around the antithesis of what he believes wrestling is work? It is about shoot, right? Not planned. It's about performance, not personality.
3: I've talked to some of my friends, though. They still think, and, and at the time in 2001, too, oh, it's going to be a work, isn't it? Yeah.
2: So I, I just mean that's intriguing to me that it's like, you know, in a sense that he's kind of saying – wrestling i i accept the bad apples in with it because they're strong personalities and that's what draws versus football i want it based on just talent and it's like what have we seen when you just try to do a work rate fed uh it's very 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 hard to become financially successful real you know amateur wrestling is work rate but is not necessarily a uh, viewership driven
3: i would say that the, the reason why amateur wrestling isn't popular is because it's boring and 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 you might even say that i that it's it doesn't have good work rate right like it doesn't have exciting matches enough to become a popular sport
2: well i mean but there are examples where they've built up rivalries that you know can fill stadiums and now if you've seen the changes that they've made in the last few years with amateur wrestling with entrance music and bigger personalities think. oh yeah they've gone really big you should listen to mike semper vivi loves talking about it every year all the big big matches and how much it's changed and they have both restricted and embrace some of the the challenges being put on them to basically say you got to remain relevant what can you do to be relevant and interesting to everybody right now but i i just think it's interesting because i just think you know the talks. someone asked him was he hate me going to be in the league and or will you give him nicknames and you know it was that idea of saying personalities work now those personalities usually have to be coupled with some kind of performance metric you got to be good at something right but it, and, it's got to it's got to matter that we got to connect with somebody because it's not interesting just to watch a bunch of people play football. You want to have some connection to the team, be it a city, right. be it a player, be it a story. And I, and I think part of the problem with the original XFL season
3: was the the public felt that there was it was all sizzle, right? There was I think there was so much sizzle that <laughs> it, it, it made the audience question like,
2: well, this is all just spectacle and and no substance. So I'm just going to throw it out there. We go we it's XFL on Twitch. It's just Mutant Football League. Vince doesn't have to pay a soul and then he just lets people he just lets a uh, new day play each other all day long. There you and go. Uh, yeah, you're saving a bunch of money. You don't even have to play these players. CTE free. CTE free. Yeah, Mutant League no football. No subconcussive baby. blows there. No, limbs fall off, but that's okay. Oh, do they? <laughs> uh mixed match challenge week 2. View peaks was 92,000 down from 135,000 for the peak of the show the week before. As uh, Dave Meltzer mentioned, it would be amazing if we did have, you know, Raw or Smackdown on Facebook Watch because we would get minute by minute viewership. And just imagine how exciting that would be to have all that data all the time uh, for for our full Raw episodes. Um there was a weird quote in the middle of the show where uh, I think it was uh, Brian Daniel said, oh, you know, there's been 35 million views across all mix Match Challenge content on Facebook last week. What was he talking and, about? Yeah. And I was like, there's two million views of your show. So I guess every promo. and And it's even one of those where I'm like, are you even counting like the promos that are on Twitter and stuff like that, which aren't really Facebook, but, you know, they're promos for the Facebook show. So it it was funny that, you know, in their world, 35 million hits hit out of this show that only got 2 million viewers to actually watch the one match. So I I think we are already at a place where it's going to be kind of crazy. And it makes me, you know, it's much more in line with what we saw on those Laval or Ball and other TV show programs uh, for Facebook Watch that we talked about in Business Insider the other week. Uh, that it starts off big and it sizzles quickly. It's a little bit like the XFL. So they're always going to run that risk that, um, you know, this show is only going to get a couple hundred thousand at best viewers. And that says a lot about, you know, is there really such a thing as a uh, uh, a world in which you could do streaming long form three hour wrestling shows? So some interesting ratings news going on there for WWE. Now, WrestleNomics Radio is brought to you every single week on uh, the Voices of Wrestling audio podcasting network we also have a patreon it's patreon.com slash russellnomics for five dollars a month you get some awesome new exclusive content last week we had lavi on the show and we talked about ring of honor and sinclair and i guarantee you we went into depth and covered subjects that no other podcast has talked about when it gets to digital sub channels and uh, fcc voting on ufh UHF ownership rules and implications of all sorts of things so it was really interesting in-depth stuff we talked about some numbers that other people aren't going to hear about for weeks until they get published I talked about some um, uh, uh, attendance numbers last week and only one person ever brought it up that Samoa Joe's a draw in my book and uh, you talked about Google shopping trends it's some good stuff
3: of the thousands of wrestling podcasts that are out there no one is going into the depth on the business side that we are. We are not, as Dave Lugano pointed out, we are not reviewing raw. In fact, as, as we just revealed, I did not even watch most of raw. We're not reviewing raw and reviewing matches. We are talking about the business of wrestling in a depth that no one else does. And, to pat ourselves on the back no one else is probably capable
2: of (laughs) i don't know about that but no one else no one else is convinced that they'll actually get a listenership for it so i'm glad that there's people out there like you listening right now yeah no one else has
3: studied no one else is prepared at this very moment to do what we're doing
2: so you can find me on twitter at mukigana i got um lots of things to say lots of different things i'm tweeting out all the time and uh, uh, some of it's great if you're a content reaggregator, You can find some nice little quips for me, for you. And, uh, you know, this morning I tweeted out a copy of that Andre the Giant HBO trailer that's coming in, in April right before WrestleMania. Actually, right after WrestleMania. And uh, I'm I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. that. That'll be very entertaining. I think it will be kayfabe to hell. But at the same time, I think that's okay. Because I think that's part of the story they're telling is... The reality versus the myth, and at least they're kind of embracing that in a way that I think it's going to be more truthful than any interview with Hulk Hogan ever was. So I'm excited about that. You might not be saying much, but yeah. And where can they find you on Twitter and uh, plug that Fightful article one more time? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at
3: Brandon Thurston, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-T-H-U-R, S-D-O-N. Uh, as we mentioned, I wrote an article on Fightful called XFL relaunch sounds like a political football league despite what Vince says you can find that on Fightful as of today it is still in that top scroll I think I've finally written something that uh, disturbs the comfortable rather than just comforts the disturbed so you you can check that out and you can leave angry comments at the bottom
2: nice nice uh we're gonna be doing some more audio on uh, the patreon and like we say every week we got some new stuff that we're putting on we're committing to more and more patreon exclusive audio so we hope to get some more subscribers over there and we want to thank our new subscribers from this past week uh thank you guys and uh brandon is is moving closer and closer to that amazon prime membership with every subscription thanks guys talk to you later bye-bye